Welcome to the Sunstock Podcast. I'm Sumeraki. I'm back, baby. And I've been away from the show due to some developments within my professional life, but I promised myself that in the year 2022, that I would find some time to get back into working on this podcast. And joining me to basically welcome me back is Time to Jets podcast host and my colleague at WFAN and CBS Sports Radio, Ed Big Zuar Zuman. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Sus, man. It's good to be on here with you. And it's an honor to be uh, to be welcoming you back and welcoming the audience back into the Sus Talk podcast, man. It's a it's a pleasure and an honor to be back to be on here, man. So thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's kind of an interesting time. And I wanted to get you on because there was a couple of um, key developments happening with the New York and what I like to usually do, it's like, I want, if I want to bring myself back in, I want to, I want to get myself back in talking about something that's very close to home, which is New York sports. So let's start off by going right into it. And I think the first thing I want to go into is I want to talk mix because so a, a, a deal happened. It's not major, but not minor. The Knicks acquired Cam Reddish from the Atlanta Hawks. They got him in return for Kevin Knox and a protected first-round pick. And I'm pretty sure they got Solomon Hill as well for some reason. And everything <laughs> – in there. Just – they just – basically, they just threw him in there. And I found that trade so fascinating because on the one hand, I feel like the Knicks got – basically fleeced the Hawks. It just felt like you're just – you're getting this young talent who has so much upside – who still has not even tapped into what he can basically do. And the Hawks, on the other hand, they just gave him away thinking like, I, my, my, my presiding theory is, is looking at that team. They just needed to make space on their roster because it just felt like there's too many players who want minutes, too many players who want the ball and they needed to trade somebody away. And I guess they decided Cam Reddish was the guy to go instead of somebody like Lou Williams or or Bogdan Bogdanovich, or insane. anybody else. And, and what they're giving up with Reddish is insane because, like, that guy has a lot of defensive potential. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, Cam is a guy who we saw in college is able to hit hit shots, hit difficult shots. He's done that through his career in the NBA. I mean, short career, but, yeah, he's done it through his career. And, I mean – you're right, bro. There's so much potential with him. And I can't believe, I can't believe all that we had to do to give all that we had to give up in order to get him was that Charlotte pick, which ultimately is, I mean, it's very protected and it's probably going to turn into two second round picks. And when you get Solomon Hill, Cam Reddish, and a second round pick in return, you basically just gave up a second round pick and Kevin Knox for that. I'll do that. Every day and twice on Sunday, man. I mean, I I love this deal. I love this deal for the Knicks. I don't think, like you said, it's not a major move. It's nothing that's going to, you know, set this team up to go on a finals run or anything crazy. Like, it's not the superstar we're looking for or the point guard even we're looking for. But it's a young player. I think he's going to be able to fit right into this, you know, this core. Maybe not the core, but just into this team, into the vibe fit in with the uh, the chemistry and the familiarity with RJ is definitely going to play something into this. And I mean, listen, this is one move right now, but it may lead to another move down the road with a certain man named Zion Williamson from New Orleans. But 
let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? I, I was about to say because I don't know if I want Zion in his current condition right now, or we unless they have insider info that they know for sure that he's basically just trying to get out of like New Orleans and it's not just an actual health issue with him. Um, but you you raise an interesting point, which is looking for a point guard on this team. And I would actually argue maybe they already have their guy. Maybe it's R.J. Barrett. Maybe that's their point guard because I feel like they use them in that function, you know, because they would. I feel like they use lineups where you have Barrett, you have Fournier, and then also Alec Burks is on the court. And somebody has to function in the, as a point guard amongst those three. It's not Fournier. It could be Burks, but I feel like it's really R.J. Barrett, and maybe that's how they're using him. And who knows? Maybe you could now instead of instead of having a lineup where you don't ha- really have that like perimeter guy, that perimeter defend defensive guy. Maybe that's Cam Reddish. You put him as their three, and then you could it swap interchangeably between Burks and Fournier, depending on how you feel about either either guy during the game so now you have a lot more lineup flexibility i'm interested to see what what reddish and barrett look like together i want to know i want to see if everything just clicks immediately just because of their time playing at duke and i just want to see cam reddish out there because we've seen this guy score like 25 points like he scores in spurts like we know that he can he's capable of scoring at a high level it's just a matter of just getting him going Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. And the thing that I really like about this move, and I'll I'll, t- I'll touch on RJ in a second, but I do like what you said. He scores in hot, in abundance in like short spurts, Cam. He's able to put up a 25 spot in only, you know, maybe 20 minutes of burn. I mean, and that's not something he's doing every night, but it's something that he can do. And to have a guy that another guy who can do that is really nice because listen as much as we want fournier to be going out there and getting 18 20 a night it's just really not the kind of player that he is at least not this year so far so when you can get another guy in here to do that especially with the inconsistency of julius the inconsistency of rj i mean he's getting going right now and i hope this is going to be a sustained run but he has been inconsistent this is another nice little scoring piece in there that can hopefully, hopefully take the load off of uh, some of the other guys that we've been relying upon a lot. But to your point on RJ being a point guard, I think, I think that's a decent point. Um, I still think they need to go out and get somebody uh, defensive minded, somebody who can move the ball around and hit a shot, hit a three, I should say specifically, but I, I do like them running the offense through RJ as opposed to running it through Julius as much as they did, because Randall was just starting to make the same mistakes that you saw him make two years ago. I mean, at times last year when he would get frustrated in the playoffs last year, and it just shows you he can't be that point forward that we want him to be. He needs to be more of that guy who, yeah, he can bring up the ball. You can run your offense through him but use him as that second guy because that's where he'll thrive more. If you allow him to go out there and get you 19 or 20 a game, 10 boards, five assists, it's a hell of a stat line from a power forward. But unfortunately, we want him to go out there right now and get 28, you know, 12 and, you know, triple-double almost, and it's just not what he is. And RJ doing what he's doing is good because – 
it's taken that off of him. And hopefully this is RJ taking that step to be a superstar because I've never seen that for him, but he's showing some bursts right now. And I'm definitely rooting for him. I'm looking at the stat lines too. And, and you see that Alec Burks also has like eight assists. I see your point as to why they need a legitimate point guard to basically run the offense. I see your point. Cause like they don't really have someone that can dish out assists unless they basically need to commit that everybody needs to share the ball. Everybody needs to get at least three assists every night just to basically keep the offense going. And I see your point on that. I do also think that the only way the Knicks will ever contend for a championship is if Barrett becomes the superstar. That's the only way, like he has to be the guy. And I feel like there is some motivation there because you look at how John Morant has played the season and then seeing that Zion has been on the sidelines, like this is your golden opportunity, RJ. Grab, Absolutely. basically take take the second place mantle and then hopefully you can challenge John, try to catch up to him. But like that's basically the only way they're going to contend is because like it just feels like Randall only has so can only do so much and give you so much. He's the perfect ideal like number two guy. And giving you that secondary score option who can drop like 20 to 25 a night and do all the other other stuff that you can do, whether if it's grab boards or defend the, the other big guy. And then Barrett's the guy that is not just scoring, but also he's your two-way guy too. Like he's the guy guarding the best player on the team as well. That's the potential that they drafted him for in the first place. And even though the, the Knicks missed out on Moran and Zion, they still got a really good guy in Barrett. Like Absolutely. No, I've never heard of anybody complaining about like, oh, Barrett. It's like, it's, you can't really be regretful for wherever you got slotted in the, in the lottery. Just like mm-hmm. take the guy, you took the guy that was the next best available guy and he's kind of working out for you. So it's, I don't, I, he is. yeah, he's making really good strides in, you know, def- on defense throughout the entire year. He has made incredible, incredible strides to becoming that dude, that number one defender on the team that you definitely will be putting on, you know, Devin Booker in the future, guys like superstars who can score 30 plus a night and feel confident that RJ is going to make plays happen, is going to stop them, and is going to be reliable. I think that's the ultimate thing with RJ is reliability. And there are times right now, and it's his third year, and he's 22, I think, 21. I mean, he's a young dude. He He's still growing. He's still becoming the player that he's going to be. And I love what he's doing offensively because he's asserting himself and he is doing what he does best and not allowing anybody in the league to change that. Like no matter what's going on defensively on him, he is still driving to the hoop. He is still putting up those threes. He's still taking that nice little fade away from about, you know, eight to 10 feet from the rim. I mean, he, he plays his game and he gets his shots and sometimes they don't drop right now. And that's, that's part of being a, you know, a young player in this league, figuring it out. And, he has the skills. He just needs to continue to take these strides. And he, I mean, I don't want to say anything crazy, but he could be the number one dude on this team. I don't think that's ideal. I don't think in a perfect world competing for a championship that RJ Barrett is uh, the number one, but for right now on this team, as we're currently constructed, 
that would be beautiful. It would be a great thing because it would take us to the playoffs, I believe, and it would give us something to build on for next year. And then, and then that's when you make the big move and you bring in that superstar player to take this team to the next level. I don't know who that is yet. We're going to have to see who wants out at the end of the year. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe a certain point guard in Portland might want to leave. And I know he likes playing at the garden. He said it in the past. Um, but that's, that's really wishful thinking. And yeah, we'll hold off on that for now because there's a lot of guys that us Nick fans, we're going to say, Oh, they want to be in the garden. They want to play for the Knicks. And the reality is, is they can do that anywhere and any team could be just as good, but you have to show them that this is where they need to be. That RJ is the guy they want to play with that. I mean, whoever it ends up being, whether it is uh, Randall or Obi Toppin, that's the future at the four position for this team. I don't know. I think that's a debate to be had, but one of those guys has to be part of your future. And he has to be somebody that is going to bring players here. He's going to make people want to play with him. And I think in a point guard's view, like having a guy like Obi Toppin to play with is much more um, appetizing I guess is the word I would use than uh, playing with Julius Randle, a dude who, you know, you pass the ball to him and he's probably going to dribble out the shot clock and then throw it at you like a grenade with, you know, two seconds left. That's an, it's an interesting point because I feel like Toppin and Randle give you two different, two different things. They give you two different styles, which in theory it, it helps because it gives defense, it keeps defenses honest as to what they're guarding. I'll, Although I will say, like the top end, I'm just thinking to myself, I love his hustle. That guy is such an ideal energy guy coming off the bench. He's so ideal for that for that role, just because you see the energy that he gives, the effort that he gives on the court, and even if he doesn't show in the stat sheet, it really does. Like you know, last night he only had like one assist. That's yeah. it. He he basically did nothing. <laughs> and, He's he he has games where he does absolutely nothing from the field like you just said and you're right his energy is what makes the difference and I do think he's better off coming from the, coming off of the bench just like I think IQ is better coming off the bench but and I think that's roles that they will thrive in through their careers with really good teams once they get to their peak but right now they're still young and we still got to see and I feel like I feel like with Obi there's just more of a you know, people will be more interested to play with him than Julius right now. I feel like there's just something about Randall that it's it's hard to bring in a point guard and have him be as successful as he is. Uh, bring in a point guard, the level of like Damian Lillard, I mean to say, you know, because we've seen him play with Alfred Payton. We've seen him play with Kemba. We've seen him play with D Rose and he's still able to do his thing. But when you put a guy like Damian Lillard, who is going to bring up the ball every single time, who is going to be taking the big shots, who's going to probably have the ball in his hands for most of possessions. I don't know how Randall, uh, I don't know how effective he is in that kind of world. And that's why I think Obi probably is the better fit in that scenario. But I mean, we're going to have to see how the rest of the season goes because if Randall picks it, it picks it back up and he gets back to where he was last year, you can't trade him. You can't make any moves with him because he's a star and you have to keep him around. But if he continues to play like this and his and, you know, teams around the league are willing to give up something big for him and, you know, you throw in a couple picks in there, 
you got to make that move happen. We'll see how it goes. Uh, one more question before we move on to the team that you cover through your podcast, New York Jets. I do want to ask you about Tibbs because I kind of feel I've always been concerned about Tibbs because there's clear there's a track record where he starts off the team. He's a great culture builder. Like I've always believed that there's that there are ways to like categorize coaches where you have the culture builders, the guys that are you want to start your franchise, the guys that you want to start with, start a rebuild with. And Tibbs is like that guy. He's like the perfect person to, to create the culture necessary for for your team to be attractive towards players again. And you have to admit, like Tibbs has really done an excellent job of making the Knicks consistent, making them respectable. And it showed because like, yeah, they didn't get like the superstars in the off season, but like at least a lot of players wanted to like, at least play for them. At mm-hmm. least um, it, the whole vibe of the place, like the, they seem happier now and everybody's like very much motivated, but I always, there's like the back of my mind, I'm always concerned about tips because there's a proven track record of a lot of, a lot of players later down the line, they get kind of tired a little bit of uh, exhausted from the way that he coaches as you know, especially in Minnesota being the, the most blatant Oof. example, but when you're like coach, when you're coaching the way that Tibbs does, it does eventually there is a wear and tear factor that goes down. And sometimes the message doesn't exactly convey as strongly as it did in year one as to year two, year three, year four. Are you concerned at all that that Tibbs may not be the guy long term and maybe that he's really just the guy that like starts the culture? Um. Uh, I would I would be lying if I told you that I had no concerns about that or if I, or I haven't thought about that already because throughout this entire season I've been I don't want to say questioning Tibbs but I've definitely been looking at him a little bit differently than I did last season and I'm starting to remember Minnesota a lot clearer you know I'm starting to remember the end in Chicago and I mean, I don't want to say this is reminiscent of it because it's not because his team is giving him their all and they really are putting it all out there. But when you see his lack of adaptability to what's going on in the game, to who's playing really well, to who is doing, you know, when Obi Toppin's out there and he's giving you way more energy, way more consistency, doing a lot, and you're putting Randall back in there with three minutes left and you're losing the game. And, I mean, I guess this is an old thing because, I mean, now we're winning again, so we're not going to talk about this. But those types of things, they make you question where the where Tibbs is and what his grasp is on the actuality of this team and how they can win. Um I don't think he's the guy to win a championship here, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep this team going any further than like next year at the most. I think after like a third year of this team being fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere in that range in the East, maybe not even making the playoffs, guys are going to stop buying into it. But guys are going to start, you know, doing their own thing. They're going to start going about their business. And that's what we see around the NBA all the time. 
So, and I mean, just around sports all the time when you lose a locker room. And Tibbs has had it happen in the past. And unfortunately, I think it is going to happen again. Even if it's not going to be this year, next year could be a disaster. And that that's that's definitely a fear that I have in my head. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but it's definitely thoughts that are in my head, brother. And I mean, I, I do have concerns. It, it, you never really want to think about a coach like that, but it's just I feel like it's just how it is. And it's hard not to think about it. I would say, like, he's the guy that starts the culture. And then there's, like, the closers. The guys that you bring in in the second phase of your of your rebuild or your or when you're at, at the point of contending where you need that guy. Yeah, that can, yeah you need someone that's going to take you to the finish line. And that's just how a lot of coaches are. It, and it is how it, it is what it is. But I... I just feel like I, that's the one thing when I, when he got hired, that's the one thing I got, I was just concerned by was just like his intensity, which will be great in year one. That's an excellent thing to have. But then afterwards, if you keep doing the same thing, unless he had adjusts and changes how he coaches down the line, like you can't keep doing the same thing and being mm-hmm. intense over and over again. It's, it's tough. Like it's tough balance to, to go for, especially if it starts working. So yeah. I, I see how it goes now. I want to switch over to the team that you covered, the New York Jets. Oh, yeah. And this is very interesting times because here's the one question. Do you feel that the Jets are exceedingly the more respectful football team right now in New York? Absolutely. I thought you were going to give me a whole – is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> no, I uh... – Listen, bro, and it could have been a rhetorical question, but, dude, when you look at the Giants, that that franchise is in such – I mean, listen, they're going to get a new GM. They're going to get a new head coach. They're going to reset the franchise, as, as we like to say. But what they're going to have to go through in terms of cap, in terms of not having a quarterback, in terms of just lack of talent on that roster in general, it's going to be a while before that team is respectable again. And – I look at the Jets, I look at my Jets, and I don't want to be biased, and I probably am to a degree. But the way that we're set up, if Zach Wilson can, you know, he doesn't have to take a step into superstardom next year. If he can be a good quarterback next year, this team is, there's no reason they can't get nine wins. And as a fan, that's where my expectations are going to be for next year. And I think as the, uh, as the off season goes on, people around the league are going to start having those expectations too. And when you get those expectations, it's a good thing because it means your franchise moving forward. And right now we're not there yet, but we are building, we are putting down the bricks to respectability, to competitiveness, to potentially, hopefully, winning divisions, winning playoff games, and maybe going to a Super Bowl and hell, maybe even winning one of those things. But that's way down. That's not way down the line. That's down the line. But right now, the Jets are really doing a good job of getting themselves to respectability. And I'm happy, very happy with the way the season ended. Although there was a a solid about five-week stretch in the middle where I was feeling really, really – negative about Zach Wilson and his coaching staff, but they proved me wrong. Matt LaFleur got it together and you mean Mike LaFleur. Mike LaFleur. <laughs> I, I honestly who get who, what's the difference, yeah. honestly? 
Yeah, it's the same guy, right? <laughs> but uh, no, Mike Lafleur, man, he he got it together when he went into the booth. I think Sal is figuring it out. Uh, I think he uh, he was trying to be too much of a CEO early on in the year, be a little bit too much of like a, oh, you know, this is what we do. Really calm demeanor on the sideline. I mean, he was he showed his emotion a lot. But when your team is getting blown out by 50, you can't really show your emotion like that because it kills the entire roster. And when you're giving up a touchdown early and it's 17-3, you shouldn't be showing that emotion because you're going to kill your team. And that's how I think this team fell into a lot of holes that they were in. But then you saw Salah at the end of the year be more of that motivator, be more of that guy that we saw in San Francisco that made everybody around the league think that he was the coaching candidate in the last cycle and i'm happy that he finally became that guy i still have questions on his ability to manage games and uh you know call timeouts at the right time and not waste them but rookie year rookie offensive coordinator rookie qb you got to give a little bit of a break and i'm i've seen nothing from solid that would tell me he's not the guy so far so in uh, in summary of that, though, the Jets are in a good place and absolutely are in way better of a place than those whatever blue giants over there. <laughs> the, the the blue giants. It just feels like you know, yeah, they they had their turn as like the embarrassment the embarrassment of New York for a good stretch of the week of the season, and then the Giants just kind of said, "No, nah, we're just gonna take the back pages from you for like the whole month. We're just gonna do that." And we're just going to uh, la- laminate our ourselves onto the back back end of the New York Post, the <laughs> Daily News. That'll be our spot. You can have your little corner, tiny corner in over there too, saying whatever. Oh, Zach Wilson threw an interception. Whatever. Oh, we, we <laughs> Joe Judge is basically trying to pick fights with the Washington Football Team. We're, we're, yeah, that's how it's gonna go. But thank God I didn't have to watch Joe Judge be the head coach of my oh team. Oh my God, what, a, what uh, a- I had Adam Gase. I could not do Joe Judge after that. <laughs> wow, that that God, what a that guy's career just like plummeted in like a month. How did that Oof. happen? If he kept his mouth shut, he could have kept his job. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a disgrace, bro. I mean, that he's a disgrace. I always he call him a go- disgrace. Like, okay, here's the here's the question: Is is he better or worse than Matt Patricia? Ooh, 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 that's a good one. We could keep doing. Um, we could make a whole game out of this. Like, is is he? Are you better or worse than this ex ex Bill Belichick coach? <laughs> um, I won't. You know what? He's not the worst of them. That's for sure. But he's definitely in the bottom, probably three. What is what is it with all these like Belichick disciples? They all think that I'm just gonna bring the Patriot way with me. It's like no, that's not how that works. <laughs> like yeah, Flores, Flores figured it out pretty quickly, which was like just be yourself. Every mm-hmm. coach, like this is advice to every single head coach, be yourself. You are not the head exactly. coach that you were, you were coaching that you were helping out as a coordinator. That's not who you are. And this is something that I think solo figured out at the end of the season, which was just be yourself. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. You, could, you saw, you said it best. Like this solo is basically trying to be a CEO, which clearly that's not who he is. That's mm-hmm. not the kind of guy he is. He has to be the rah-rah guy. He has to be the motivator. That's who he is, and that's how he's always been. And that's why players like went to bat for him to be a head coach whenever they could, even if that guy wasn't even on their on the 49ers anymore. Like Richard exactly. Sherman, I'm pretty sure it was like this hired this guy. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing. And then the other part that 
I, I'm just fixated on. Like, here's another example. Dan Campbell. He's always been himself. Yep. Dan Campbell is someone who was himself the whole season and everybody liked him. Everyone gave him a free pass, even if the Lions were awful, like they because the players still fought for him. They still basically fought tooth and nail to get him wins, even when they weren't getting them. Now, I'm not sure what that's going to look like in year two, but like I feel so good about the Lions because like Dan Campbell, for example, he is not like the other three Detroit Lions coaches that they've had. He's not. <laughs> He's not a, I would say, a grouchy guy like uh, like Jim Schwartz. He's not grouchy. He's not a robot. He's not frozen solid like Jim Caldwell. And he's not a phony like Matt Patricia. So basically, he's the opposite of every single coach that the Lions have, have, have basically had over the past decade. And that's what makes me feel so optimistic about Dan Campbell. Now, what would really make me feel optimistic about the Lions is if they got out of the Thanksgiving game, but that's a whole other point, a whole other time. Um, hey, they could stick out of the Jets in there next year. We're going to start looking good. Just put the Raiders <laughs> and the Cowboys in there or the 49ers. Get, stick like the three like beacons of, America, of America's team on yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, the classics. Yeah, just do that. Why The NFL makes it so difficult. They have to basically like – Force us to watch a Lions game. Why? I don't want to talk to my family on Thanksgiving around lunchtime. I want to do that at dinner. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to have to walk away from this Lions game because they're down by you know twenty at the half, and it's just a disgrace. But I mean, dude, the NFL. If we sat here and we talked about all the things the NFL messes up, we'd be sitting here for a long, long time. But yeah, <laughs> listen, man, you're absolutely right on Campbell. I, I love him. I love him. I think he's a really uh he's a breath of fresh air uh as a coach and i think i don't uh, i mean i don't know there's nothing to back this up but his example definitely probably at least made it more comfortable for Salah to over the course of the year get to where he got and i'm happy he did but uh yeah he should definitely take uh take some lessons from uh, Dan Campbell because I'd love to hear Robert Sala talking about uh, biting off some kneecaps next uh, next summer. Now, I, you don't want him crying at, at a press conference, though. You don't want that. <laughs> I mean, look, it's okay to cry. I, I'm not going to say that it's not a good it's not a good thing to cry ever, but like hey, sometimes you got to let it out. Yeah, sometimes you got to let it out, but like, you know, just know the time and place to do so. That's, that's the only <laughs> thing that I care about. Now, we've clearly answered the question that I had written down, which was how confident you feel about Salah because you didn't feel confident confident about him like in the early part of the season because he was still learning on the job and I would say his first season I would give it a C personally I would give it a C yeah. just because like there's right. a lot of not good stuff but he didn't really impress anything or give anything that of of optimism so basically I think year two is really where we start where the pressure comes in I want to focus on your quarterback Zach Wilson who I was deeply concerned for because he was afflicted by a curse yeah. And the curse, yep. of, the curse that is being the second overall pick. And if you look at the past decade of second overall picks, a lot of flame outs, a lot of flame outs. And you have guys like Carson Wentz, Mitch Trubisky, Oof. Saquon Barkley. Oof. I honestly, I'm putting him on there. I, I don't care how talented he is. It, like he's <laughs> a flame out. He got drafted by the wrong team. RG three. Oh, I yeah, mean, RG three, obviously. Injuries that's unfortunate to him, but still. Yeah. You know, so, you look at all these guys and it, it, you're absolutely right, man. It's, it's tough. It, it's I, scary. I felt so bad for you guys. Like, like you might basically, <laughs> you should have, you should have gotten the first overall pick. I mean, even I, that, uh, that God, we, we don't even talk about that day anymore. That awful <laughs> Sean McVay decided to take a game. Oh, off, that was the know, great. 
That was the greatest. Oh. That was the greatest twenty stretch of like fo- uh, forty eight hours of football I've ever seen. Because I'll give you, I'll give you a nice flashback. I was back when I was uh, part timing, like splitting between, um, consistently splitting between two jobs. I was working at Sirius. I had the Jets Rams game. I had uh, with Shusen's the the Jets feed right, and it was crazy. Like the Jets were not like basically they were coming in. I think that was fresh off the heels of them getting their getting uh their butts handed to them by the Seahawks. That was yep. I th- if I remember correctly. And then no, you're right. they just were moving down the field on this Rams defense that I'm pretty sure was still healthy. I'm pretty yeah, sure I still had good. guys. They were, they were pretty much, yeah, they were pretty much at hundred percent. And, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did he not know how to guard Ty Johnson? They yeah, couldn't it's like, figure it's out. Like <laughs> It's like McVay was like, yo, Adam Gase, I, I kind of want to help you out here one last time before you get canned, you know, maybe li- make you look good. You can get a high school job or something. Or or being the water boy at, at a, for a college, for a division three college program. I, I don't know. So I was so flabbergasted because I couldn't believe that this Rams defense was letting the Jets do this to them. And then the next day I had, I had a Monday night football. I had the national feed for that at, over. And that was when the Bengals embarrassed the Steelers. And I was like, oh. this is the greatest 48 hour stretch of sports I've ever been a part of in my life. It was so beautiful. <laughs> the Steelers just basically getting embarrassed by the Bengals because Juju decided to dance, decided to taunt them again. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that was another instance where they, he danced on the logo again. Oh yeah, it was. I remember that one. And uh, Juju actually uh, playing in the game versus Kansas city, huh? That's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I don't I know really know if that's going to, I don't even know yeah. that's going to give like much much con- contribution just because like Ben, ben Big Ben's hey. arm is like just not not an arm anymore. It's just like it might it might give KC a boost when he's uh, dancing out there on Arrowhead, right? <laughs> he's just back. He's back. Just can he can he Pat really Mahomes can he do Corvette Corvette if he has a busted up shoulder? <laughs> he's gonna have to figure it out because <laughs> like you, you got to carry the two footballs and then afterwards you just got to do this like. It, it takes a lot out of your shoulder. You don't want to. You don't want to strain your shoulder when you come back. It, it'd yeah, be so ironic. Yeah, it'd be so ironic if he just basically re-aggravated the injury when he was doing Corvette Corvette. Oh, that would. The be irony the would not be lost on anyone. That would be a chef's kiss of like all timers, right? Oh there. my god. Oh, <laughs> uh, so um, let's. But yeah, Zach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Zach is going to be. I think he'll be able to break that. Uh, that little two number two curse. Uh, and that is the number two pick, of course, <laughs> curse. And I, I mean, listen, his ceiling, uh, I see what people love about him. Not many people can run and chuck the ball 50 yards on a dime off of their back foot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not many people can do that. And I see what people like about him. He has the guts to make some crazy throws. He just needs to find that consistency. And if he can, then his ceiling is going to be a top 10 quarterback in this league. If he can't, then he's going to be probably out of this league in a couple of years. But right now I'm leaning towards the latter because just because of the way that he progressed at the end of the season. And like I said, man, there was that five, six week stretch where we're getting blown out, giving up 500 yards and the offense, I mean, was looking great with backups running it and Zach couldn't do anything. But those last two games, last three games, he looked better. He wasn't turning the ball over as much. He played really well versus the Bucs, I felt, outside of, you know, that mishap at the end of the game. But you know what? 
I'll take that in a 2021 season where we don't care, where we're trying to, you know, get a better pick rather than have that happen, you know, next year, two years from now, when we're trying to potentially make the playoffs. So let's get that out of the way. I'm cool with it. That's a rookie mistake. Some of the other things he did were not, but he started improving on them. I'm giving him some benefits of the doubt, and I do still think that he has a high ceiling, but he really needs to take a leap next year. Not to superstardom, but to respectability as a like quarterback. Top, top half of the, of the quarterbacks. Yeah, you it, can't be out there throwing, you know, nine touchdowns for the year with freaking 17 interceptions. 11, like, just, 11 interceptions, actually. Like, I checked yeah. the stats on Ugh. this. I, and that's and, not, and he didn't play the whole year. No, nah, I, 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 but the good news basically for them is that I think they, they really hit on a lot of mid-round, mid-round picks. Like Michael Carter, the running back. You have Stuck. two Michael Carters. Uh, let me let me Both just point studs. that out. <laughs> Both studs. I love. Uh, Wait, Carter's the, the cornerback is a good is good too. He's solid. He's a solid nickel. He plays oh. pretty well. Oh my Just need god! To develop him. Get him good. That's um, gonna be. That's gonna be right there on the marquee when we're playing in the AFC Championship game in three years. Oh man, I'm Car- I'm, Carter I'm to Carter. It. <laughs> yeah, NBC, bro. I can see it right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Michael Carter, you hit on the running back. He had a really decent season. Um, Elijah Moore, who I, I think everyone knew was going to be good. I think everybody had a good feeling about him, and he really delivered. Sucks that he got injured at the end of the season, but there was a stretch run where basically he was like insert jet quarterback's favorite target. And Braxton Berrios. <laughs> hey. I mean, look. They'll keep Corey Davis, but like we we know we all know the three receivers now. It, it, it's Elijah Moore, and, and Braxton Berrios is going to be the slot receiver that you guys have never thought that you get out of Jamison Crowder. And Berrios, like you guys were using him in such interesting ways. Now the Jets, I feel like, are still going to draft a wide receiver in this in this pick. It's not going to be the first round, definitely. I think if you go. draft a mid round wide receiver, that's perfectly fine. Always have options. Mm-hmm. Look at the Bills. Yeah. Look at the Bills. They have like five receivers. Like you gotta always have depth. Always have guys ready to go, step up. Um, exactly. I like Elijah Moore a lot. I think he has a, a very high ceiling. And yeah, I pair loved, him with I've Zach Wilson's arm. He say, he sounds like a great guy too, from what I've heard. Um, apparently, him and AJ Brown were very good friends in college, and AJ Brown had some issues, and he he accredited Elijah with getting him through a lot of that. Um, I heard Matt Corral the quarterback down at Ole Miss, he was saying how he took from Elijah Moore's example in terms of being a leader on the team for the young guys. So it was actually really, uh, really nice to hear those kinds of things because I think the reputation that he got for having the incident where he, you know, kicks the leg up and does the peeing on the fire hydrant thing back in uh, college. I think that took over a lot of that. Listen, we've all done very dumb things in college. So oh, trust me. And you can still be, (laughs) and you can still be an upstanding citizen. That's the whole point of growing up is that you make mistakes and then you, you learn from them and then you move on and you, and you, you basically bury all those memories down in the deep recesses of your brains. But I, what I like about this team too, is that like they, I feel like they're going to try to see, oh, we need to get more weapons. Like, how about just get – they should just do what the Panthers did was draft, draft mostly on the defense because they need pieces there. I also mm-hmm. feel like I would it, I would love to see if um, – I like the combo of, like, Carter and Ty Johnson together. 
I don't know if they need another running back, but like Ty Johnson, like he's a pretty decent third down guy. Like yeah, he's not like terrible. He's not terrible. Like he's not no, awful. No, no. And clearly against the Rams, he 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 was he was pretty <laughs> talented. So like I would keep I would keep Ty Johnson because not a lot of teams have that third down running back or a passing down back that they could basically rely on. And when you're when you're with a young quarterback, you need safety valves. You need safety options just in case like a play breaks down or the receivers are tightly covered and you don't, you don't want to make sure that Zach Wilson does take like 40 plus sacks like he did this year. Oh god. And and that's another thing. Like they have a bunch of offensive linemen guys that are pretty pretty good. And I've Elijah heard Elijah Tucker pretty good um george fant like i've heard was pretty decent at filling in for becton this year yeah um, become a, became a stud for us i gotta say he's definitely earned himself a spot starting somewhere on that line next year i think you gotta make as someone who has watched him like he's consistently he was one of the more reliable guys that on the offensive line for the seahawks i'm very sad that when they when he left and joined you guys i was very sad because like they would <laughs> always have him like lined in as like an eligible sixth offensive lineman and it usually half the time it led to chris carson getting into the end zone so fans i feel like has a future as your right tackle if you can't sign morgan moses back i don't and i don't know how you feel about morgan moses but i like like him but he's a little older and if he wants a lot of money i wouldn't be willing to pay him because i I like fant a little better and he's younger kick him back over to the right tackle and then becton hopefully he stays healthy i think like becton like the I don't know. Do you think the issue is that he's too big? Oh, man. Um, he might be ooh. just too like It's like a Zion thing where it's like he's just too big. And it's just a lot dif- more difficult to manage conditioning with him. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's definitely part of it. Um, I've. I don't know what his um, personal like everything in terms of himself are. I don't know his motivation levels and things like that. And I wouldn't dare question that. But. You look at him, and this was about as bad of an injury as you could have asked for him to get without completely tearing up his knee. Uh, to have knee surgery in your second year in the first game, that's that's really bad. And to also pile up on top of that that you're 390 or, you know, however, however heavy he got during that time frame, we don't know. Like, you have to rehab from that, and that's not easy. And then once you are rehab, your knee isn't as strong as it was. I mean, it's it's strong. You can do things again. You're back to that. But now you can hurt that thing again, just like that. And it's a lot easier to make that happen. And I, I don't know. I don't know what this means for him in the future. I really hope that he takes takes something from this year and he looks at himself in the mirror and he says, hey, listen, you know, I, I like. I like eating. I love cooking. I love doing all this stuff. I like playing video games with my spare time, you know, all that kind of things, but I need to commit. I need to get my ass down to a much more respectable playing weight. I need to be able to run around more. I need to be able to get this knee right and not put so much weight, so much pressure on it that I'm going to tear it again, or I'm going to have consistent injuries throughout my leg because both legs because eventually it will get to that point and I don't want it to but that's just the reality of the situation when you have a guy like him and again it's all about motivation if he's motivated if he wants to do this 
if he wants to be a superstar, he can do it. He yeah. just needs to have the commitment. And that's the that's the scary question right now. Maybe you start him at right tackle just for like a year, just so he could get his D back right. Because like basically, like I, I feel, you you just like is it like being the left tackle, the blind side like blocker? Like it puts a lot of stress on your a lot more stress than it does like with your if you're throwing it from the QB's like throwing side. Like exactly. I, I like I have no idea because I don't I'm not an offensive lineman. I've, I I don't <laughs> coach it either. So I I'm just no. It's just a you're you're that's absolutely just, right. It's just you're a absolutely thought right, that, on that, bro. Yeah. Um. No. Like when you're playing on the right right side, you're getting pass rushers that. I mean, now it's a little different because of really good teams with good defenses are able to rotate and their D-lines are just great in general. But most of the time, you're not getting the elite pass rusher of the team when you're lining up on the right side. So that helps you out a lot when you're Mackay Becton. The other thing is it gives this team the ability, and I, I actually really like that idea, and I, I kind of floated around the right tackle possibility for Mackay Beckton because I love George Fanta at left tackle and it gives you the ability to play him there. And plus you're not relying on Mackay Beckton to be your left tackle. That's, that's something you can now remove. And yes, he could be a superstar. He could be elite to the max, but he could also do that on the right side. And every time he gets hurt, every time he could potentially get hurt in the future, He's not going to completely debilitate this offensive line like he did this season for half of the year because they had to figure it out. That can't happen. That cannot happen as Zach Wilson continues to age, as this O-line continues to grow, and as this team continues to take those strides to be a competitive team in this league. And that's my concern with Mekhi back. And, and that's why I'd stick him at right tackle next year if he's healthy to go because, I mean, who knows? I Who think he'll, 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 I think he'll be healthy enough to like we come hope. back to come back at the very least at the start of the season. I, I would hope so. I just, and then there's like other spots, like I think filling out center and, and right guard, if you could find guys there to basically grow with this team, that's another thing. Like I would, I would love to see a fan, a AVT and Beckton line you already have like those guys like they already have kind of a connection like I wouldn't break it I feel like part of the off being an offensive line and why a good offensive lines have continuity and they have yep. a lot of like l- take a look at the Bucks for example look at who their guys they get Ali Marpet Kappa Werfs and Donovan Smith those guys have been together for a very long time and you look at the Eagles you have Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson who've been there for years and like yep. for example like it just because you're not on the left, you're not on the blind side blocker doesn't mean that you're not the most important guy. Like Lane Johnson and Tristan yep. Wurfs are like the two best offensive linemen. Like they could easily be left tackles. They could oh, easily be blind side guys, but they're stars anyway, because like they're, they're on the right. They're tackle. Making, they're, yeah. They're doing their job to the absolute max. And that's all you can ask. And it doesn't matter where you're playing, but in this situation, it's better for the team to have George Fant or somebody reliable health-wise, at left tackle. And Makai Becton needs to say to himself, guess what? Right tackles are all pros, too. Yeah. It's not just the left tackle. Look at some of the other names. Ryan Ramchick, Rob Havenstein, and Braden Smith. Like those are mm-hmm. those are examples. Like Trent Brown from the Patriots too. That guy, that guy's pretty decent at <laughs> yep. too. It's like Trent Brown. Is, I think might be better than Isaiah Wynn. We have no idea. But yeah, I, it doesn't. Just, it doesn't matter what side of the line you play on in terms of your in terms of how great you are. It's just it's more about positioning. It's more about 
you know, just, I mean, keeping your quarterbacks blindside and how you run the offense. And I mean, that's another reason why Makai needs to get into better shape because it's offense. They need him to be able to roll out and they need him to be able to make those blocks when they have him pulling. And that was something that we saw as an issue early on, even though it was just preseason. And I mean, we didn't see him very much in preseason, but even though it was just the Carolina game, pretty much, you did see issues there with him and mobility is a problem. So that's where the weight is going to come into, you know, a bigger, bigger issue if he is able to stay healthy on the field. But like you said, man, there are great right tackles in this league, some better than left tackles. And you just have to put in the work. Makai Becton has to put in the work. Yeah. And I'll I'll note I, one more, one more yeah. uh, right tackle. Just uh, Mike McGlicka, whatever the guy. McGlinchy. McGlinchy. The Niners. Yeah. That guy too. Um, Like that's another guy. He was drafted basically thinking, oh, he's going to be taking over like tackle. Nope. They tried, they decided to t- get Trent Williams and they put it, stayed him at right tackle. So it doesn't really matter. But let's, mm-hmm. let's end this whole thing about like, you have to be the only important offensive lineman is the left tackle. That's, that's, that's a bunch of uh, malarkey. Yeah, that's garbage. It is Maloney, actual. <laughs> it's baloney. Um, let me wrap up with one last question. Um, if you had to pick a position on the defensive side that needs that they need to focus with their with their fourth overall pick, where would you go? Secondary, linebacker, or pass rusher? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, because I personally, I want them to trade down. Uh I think it. I think it's the best thing for this team to trade down and get a couple more picks and have that ability to maybe trade and get a veteran on this team in some capacity. But I also think the top of the draft is a bunch of guys who aren't necessarily as good as they, you know, maybe uh, maybe are positioned as to be. Like, unfortunately, there's outside of Hutchinson and Thibodeau, I don't think any pass rushers that high or that great. I don't love Carl Aftis, um, Carl Aftis or anybody else really for that matter. But Stingley, he's somebody, I guess if I was going to stay at four, I would probably go with Stingley just because you can't draft a safety at number four overall. Uh, he is an LSU defensive back, so there is a little trust in that. If it was a little <laughs> exactly. bit of trust in – because yeah. look at the past couple LSU guys that have been drafted from, at defensive backs from LSU. Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson come to mind. So that gives you a sense Jamal of optimism. Adams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jamal's I would say, is a success, right? Oh, boy. I, don't, I thought we were going to go through this whole conversation without mentioning his name. But yeah, um, what am I thinking of? Uh, there's like other guys like the Kobe Dean from Georgia. That's another guy. Like if you want to pair him up with CJ Mosley and just take the best, like that's in a scenario. That's if you guys trade down and find, find somebody, some desperate go- team that wants a quarterback, like <laughs> the Broncos. <laughs> I'll give you another name here as a linebacker. I got uh Devin Lloyd from Utah. That's a guy that I really like. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know where he'll probably end up going, but his athletic skills, his his presence on the field this year, and the fact that he's at the Senior Bowl makes me think he's going to end up being the guy that the Jets take in uh in the first round to be a linebacker. At, at, maybe and I think 10 they need too. to get a linebacker. Yeah, Th- and number that- ten, and that's a weird one too. And I want to tell, and I, I also want to trade down from that pick. 
Is that, am I crazy? Just, I think just I'm keep, a crazy. Get, just keep getting assets and, and maybe well, that one, I, I have a really crazy. And if you'd indulge me, I have a little, like a, you know, a tin tinfoil hat kind of thing. So if you, if you would indulge me, okay, go on. Um, I got new Orleans sitting there. I think they're at 16, 17, I believe somewhere in that ballpark, uh, maybe 15, but, um, late they're going to be looking, yeah, yeah they're like going to be looking for tens. a quarterback. They're going to be looking for a quarterback. They might want to get somebody in a picket sitting there. I wouldn't mind trading back with them. And you know what? I don't need a bunch of picks. If you decide that you want to put Michael Thomas in that trade, I'll take that in a heartbeat. That's what's. Oh, wow. I don't know if they're okay. I think that there's another piece that they would trade away instead of Michael Thomas. I don't think that, that the saints have given up on Michael Thomas yet. Like, but do you think he, Michael Thomas is giving up on the same? Well, if he want, if he if he wanted to go, I think he would have the option. He would try to to find the, like a team that he really wants to be at. And and I have to say, I, I don't think it's the Jets at this moment. I don't think that's, that's where he would go. That's, that's the fair. only issue with that deal is like, you know, that where does Michael Thomas want to go? That ultimately is where it all boils down to. But I do see your point, though. I do think the Saints are like a team that I could definitely see trading up to the ten and. The Broncos are another team I can see trading up to like at least four, maybe if they really want to get Kenny Pickett. Um, mm-hmm. We have like, there's a lot of options. Like you guys have the option to trade down and we've seen it last year. There's precedent set where you can trade before the trade your pick before draft night. So you can just do yep. that up to like three, like the third pick overall pick was traded away. Like, a, like at least a few weeks before the draft. The Jets could possibly mm-hmm. find somebody. They could definitely, they could definitely get something done, and they can go out and and fill out the rest of their roster and get some get somebody like at let's say I'm trying to trying to find where the Bron- like so the Broncos are at number nine and the Jets are at four. Let's basically they're guaranteed to basically miss out on Hutchinson and Thibodeau and Evan Neal for that matter. They're gonna miss out on those guys. I wouldn't. Trust, tri- I don't think like drafting a cornerback, unless you have to be so sure that that guy is going to basically be around for five to 10 years. Like yeah. you have to be so sure on that. And I don't think, I don't get that vibe from Stingley at all. Nope. So I would trade down with the Broncos, take somebody like, like a Nicobe Dean or even a, or even a Kyle Hamilton, maybe. I could, I would love to have Kyle Hamilton on this defense. I, I was, I was kind of alluding to that with the number four pick, but it is crazy to take, you know, a Kyle Hamilton there. But I love his size. I love his just ability to just be a ball hawk. You know, maybe he's not picking off a ton of passes, but he's around every single play. And that's the kind of guy you want on your team. You know, that's 6'4, 220 runs like a bat out of hell and i mean you can't ask like i said you can't ask for anything more and yeah. he'll fill the role that will be left by marcus may <laughs> when he leaves in free agency so it actually so fits. him and aston davis who let you let basically let led the team in interceptions this year i think i'm pretty <laughs> sure he did right yeah, yeah I, I i think you're right on that but wasn't a very uh you know big number and right. i'm not a huge ashton davis guy Oh, he no, he tied for interceptions with Brent with uh, Braden Eagles, and you guys only collectively as a team only had seven interceptions. So you got it. That that's that's a priority. I think Kyle Ham. If you guys managed to trade down 
to get Kyle Hamilton and, but also probably either draft at number 10, either Nicobe Dean, or as you said, Devin Lloyd, who's like, I don't think it's too much of a reach. It just sounds like a reach because no one's ever really talked. No one really talks about Utah. Mm-hmm. That's Not that's yet. Yeah. No one really talks about um, Utah, but then like, I would say like you pair those guys together and then you felt you have two cornerstones on defense and there you go. Um, all right. This was, this was fun. Ed, this was fun. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, before you go, Thank let you, the bro. people know, let the people know how they can reach out to you and what you've been up to. Oh man. You know, I'm always, uh, I'm always over at the fans. So definitely check me out over there. Uh, you know, I'm producing, slinging those, uh, swinging those songs, spinning the tracks, but hit me up on the Twitter machine at Zubeard 77. I love the interaction on there. Let me know how crazy that you guys think I am. Let me know what y'all thoughts are on the Jets as well. But uh, sus, man, I can't thank you enough. I've, I'm very honored to be the uh, first guest on the renewed sus talks. I am very excited to uh, follow you on the journey now. And 2022 is going to be a great year, brother. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You can also check out Time the Jets. That's Ed's podcast on the Jets covering everything about the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And thank you so much, everybody. Really appreciate everyone for listening. And I hope everyone has a wonderful day.